0: Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Rozeal, and today my guest is Malcolm Lemons. Malcolm is the founder of Players Point Sports. Malcolm is a former professional basketball player and currently helping athletes with personal branding, e-commerce, and the likes. He's helping athletes take advantage of who they are when they're athletes, so that way they can have a little bit of a legacy and a little bit of a runway afterwards, so they can do whatever they want and however they want to do it, because they're on that stage and they deserve that. If, we, uh, if we're being, uh, being very honest with ourselves. Malcolm also has a podcast as well. Um, everything will be in the show notes, so make sure to check that out. But first, here's Malcolm. Yes. Killer. All right. Today we have Malcolm Lemons on the show. He is the founder of Player Points, Player's Point Sports, host of the Player's Point podcast, author of, author of Lessons from the Game, and a for, former professional basketball player. Man, my, my voice is not working today. We'll see how this <laughs> one goes, brother. Thank you so much for joining me today, Malcolm. I appreciate it.
1: I appreciate you having me, Mike.
0: No problem at all. No problem at all. And you as a podcast host, I'm sure every once in a while, your lips don't, uh, your mouth doesn't want to work exactly the way it does. But we, we grind through, right? That's all we can do, man. That's all we can do. 100%, 100%.
1: Gotta get the job done any way possible. Gotta get it done.
0: Awesome, dude. So yeah, uh, first question that I have for everybody is, why do you love sports?
1: Man, for me, um, growing up, sports was an escape. You know, I used it as something to um, kind of take me away from other things that were going on in my life during the time. And um, as I got old, older, I began to see how much sports can can kind of teach us about life and how it actually is a microchasm of life, um, you know, from the lessons, the relationships that you can build, and those bonds and just the things that I've been able to carry Um, carry over from sports that applied to business and just other things that I wanted to do is is invaluable and so I think sports connects us in ways that um, you know you really can't explain and you know having that that just love and that passion for the game to compete um, and and just to play for something bigger than yourself I think that's just some of the reasons why people just love sports um, and, and why it plays such a big role in society.
0: A huge role in society. I mean, there's so much, you know, after religion and politics, I'd say sports is the third most fanatical. Uh, sports is the third most emotionally driven, um, I don't know, topic, let's call it. Uh, in, in my opinion, it's number one in my world because I don't really like to play in those other two too much, but uh, I right. definitely think that there's a lot going on. And so you, you brought up the lessons that you've learned. What were some of those maybe first lessons or, or the biggest lessons that you learned from you know, the, the industry of sports, the world of sports that touched you uh, deep enough to make you continue to work in the world?
1: I would say the first thing would be the the, the work ethic that you have to have to be a, a high level athlete. I mean, being a professional athlete was my entire life goal. And so knowing how much effort that took, um, you know, I just had to put in the work every single day and, and be consistent with it. And to play at to have the opportunity to even Play Division One. It took, a, took an incredible amount of hard work. So I would say hard work and just being able to be consistent and disciplined were uh, some of the top lessons that I took away from the game. And also, um, you know, what sticks out in my mind, other, two other things are teamwork and patience. Um, I think sports taught me a lot about how to, how to be patient, how to be very cerebral, um, strategic, and think things through. Um, and then also from the teamwork perspective how to get along with other people to work towards a common goal um, you know playing basketball and football growing up we were probably two of the the main uh, team sports um, you have to work in and with with other people who might not come from the same experiences that you've came from or might not have the same background or uh, you know they just might be a totally different person than you are but you have to learn to get along with that person, learn to work with that person, and, and that's life. You're going to work with people that you don't like, <laughs> that you don't get along with, but it's all, you know, it's all about getting the job done and, and working towards a, a greater purpose, as I, as I stated before. So I think sports taught, has taught me a lot of different lessons, but those are kind of the things that stand on my mind the most.
0: Yeah, those three are pretty uh, pretty top of mind. I mean, hard work, patience, and teamwork. Hard work, obviously. One thing i found with hard work is, is people don't mind working really hard when it's something that they like to do. No. Um, but when it comes to something that they don't really love to do so much, the hard work comes across. It's a little bit more difficult to get to, but it's still – I think that's why sports is so – perfect because you know alan iverson put it perfectly we're, we're talking about practice like you know reggie uh, or i'm not not reggie wayne marvin harrison i don't get paid to play i get paid to practice right i'll play the games for free you know so it's it's putting in that work to understand that you know you're doing a lot of things that you don't really love to do most likely i mean some people love to practice kudos to them they, they're probably crushing it but then actually when you get to play the game itself that's when you can see all that hard work pay off which then it kind of creates that cycle of All right, the harder I work over here, the better I'm going to be over here. Teamwork, obviously, you know, basketball and football. I'm a huge baseball fan and it's a team sport. But let's be honest, it's very individually based. Those two are very clearly um, just huge sports where in football, you need all 11 guys doing the correct thing at the correct time for things to work Uh, and understanding kind of your piece. You're a piece of a puzzle at that point. Um, and you right. have to make sure that you're 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 playing your role, you're doing your part, and you're fitting exactly where you need to. And patience, man, patience is a huge virtue. So I'm glad that you brought that one up too, because again, going back to the hard work aspect, so many people just want things to happen now. and they think if they right. work hard, something will happen now. But no, you actually have to work hard for a significant period of time, and you have to do a lot of hard work and be patient, and then then you can start to see the fruit of your labors. Um, so I think those are those are three really great points, man. Thank you for bringing all those up.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think, uh, you know, when I talk to athletes about transitioning into life after sports, uh, a lot of times they think it's supposed to happen overnight. And I'm like, you didn't become a great athlete in in a couple of years. Like this took a long time. It took a lot of a lot of your life, a lot of effort. And you have to think about every aspect of life in that way and that you have to be patient throughout the process and really just learn to enjoy, um, you know, whatever transition you might be going through or. Uh, just whatever you're doing, you have to fall in love with the, with the overall grind, the process of, of getting towards the goal, not the actual goal. itself. So.
0: Exactly. And that that's that's a huge narrative now. Um, I don't know how much it was before I started paying attention to it, maybe. Maybe it was always there and I just didn't have my eyes open to it. But it's always, you know, enjoy the process. A lot of it's about the process. If you attach your, your emotions to an outcome, you're always going to be disappointed because once you reach that outcome, you're going to be looking for something more. You know Tom Brady. You know he doesn't. It's it's six Super Bowls. Okay, that means he wants seven now. And he'll you know if he if doesn't get to seven, that means he's disappointed. No, that's ridiculous. You have to enjoy the process and know what you're trying to do and how to get there, and 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 really understanding what you're doing in the overall grand scheme of things. So I completely agree with you, man. I love that. That's good stuff. So. Um, I have written down here, ball is life. So you were growing up in D.C. Uh, you didn't really come from too, too much. Tell us a little bit about the, you know, the the first part of your life that really, again, set you on this path of hard work, patience, teamwork, and, and you know, just sports in general.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I grew up in a single parent household. Uh, my mother was the foundation for everything. And, and I watched her, uh, you know, just support my brother and I and how much she had to go through to do that. Um, and, and that's kind of really where my work ethic comes from just seeing her work multiple jobs and, and, and having to take care of us and not being home a lot of the times and having to mature at a very young age and so uh, that th- those personal things that I've been through and watching my mother struggle was a lot of where that that grind and that uh, perseverance and determination to want to make something out of my life came from and it taught me she taught me so much she taught me so much about life and and just um, you know how to just get get things done and not to not make excuses. And so, uh, as sports was like my escape, it was something that um, I saw, I thought I could do to kind of build a life for myself, but also to support my family in the long run. And as I grew older, I just saw how much that uh, how much I can get from the game and how I could you know just use that as a, as a catalyst to do other things. So that was really kind of my foundation um, growing up, and I followed my brother. Uh, as an athlete so whatever sport he played I wanted to play and just became passionate about about you know basketball football whatever sport I was was playing at the time and and, uh, just carried that throughout life man
0: I love it and I'm sure your older brother if we ask him he taught you everything you knew because I mean that's what I did for my (laughs) little brother right He, he he got so great at sports because you know he played with he was the youngest of four or fourth youngest of five so he uh, he became pretty darn good at baseball for a minute there, so that was a lot of fun. But it's all because of his older brother and older cousin. So I'm sure you know the yeah. same thing. Right? <laughs> I do, I do, absolutely. So, yeah. It's good stuff, man. So so coming out of D.C., um, I'll be very honest. I'm not super into uh, co- uh, how do I want to say this. I'm not. I don't really understand college or high school recruiting to colleges. Um, you know what areas of the country are hotbeds. I mean, we know Florida, California, and Texas. All three of those places are huge. I can't tell you where in any, any of them are where the athletes are coming from is, is DC like a, a relatively known place where a lot of basketball players, football players come out of the DMV Absolutely. area, I guess.
1: Yeah. 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 No, no questions. I, w- I would say pound for pound, uh, probably basketball wise, the DMV might have the most talent in the country. I mean, we've had, i I alone played in our conference, which is arguably the most competitive, um, you know, high school basketball uh, conference in the country. I mean, it was, it was at least four players, four Division One players on my team every year, and you know that extended to other teams in the league. I played against guys such as Victor Oladipo for the Pacers, Quinn Cook for the Lakers, um, Jaren Grant who played with the Magic, Jeremy Grant who's playing, um, I believe, with the Nuggets now. I mean, it was just like so much talent across the board. I mean, guys who, um, you know, even went to went to the NFL. You know, from my high school, I had four NFL players. Um, who are currently playing in the NFL right now? That were at my high school when I was there. So it's just it's a it's a it's just a high level of talent. And I don't know I don't know what's in the water in the area because um, DC is not a big city by by any means. I mean, you can get from one end to the other end of the city in 30 minutes. It's a very small city, um, but there's a lot of talent that comes out of this area and um, just a high level of competition. And I think we have uh, we push each other. I mean, just growing up playing against competition, we uh, we're in the gym 24/7. I mean, we have guys who really work hard coming from this area, and there's a lot of uh, prime examples and, and athletes who have came before us who kind of showed us the way. Uh, so I would say the support system is really good here, and a lot of good coaches that come out of this area as well. So I don't know what it is about this area, but man, it's a lot. It's a lot of talent in the DC area for sure.
0: That is really interesting. And hey, man, I mean, you, you were playing on teams with Division One athletes because you were one yourself, right? Like mean, it's, it's that's no, that's, there's no mistake there. It, it makes sense. Competition breeds excellence. If you're playing with players that are you know, of, of utmost talent, of course, you're, some of it's either going to rub, rub off on you or you're going to work your, your butt off to make sure that you can get there. Um, with, with the area being such a small area, and you say you can get from one under the DC to another in 30 minutes, I have to assume that's with zero traffic. Um, but that's yes, just <laughs> that is just that's my first assumption. We'll start with that. But I mean, what do you, what do you think it was? Why why do you think so many of these guys? I mean, the 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 guys you just named. So I'm a big Duke fan. So Quinn Cook obviously got to watch him play a lot. Um, the Grants. I can't remember which one was on Notre Dame. He was incredible. His three or Jeremy. four years when he Jeremy. Okay, thank you. He was great. His three or four years there. Um, so I mean, what what do you think it is that, like. I know you said it's the competition, but is it the grittiness? Is it like, because, you know, you can point to Philly and say, oh, it's grit. Like, I don't know right. that much about D.C. other than, you know, the politics go on there. So what do you think it was that that pushed you guys so hard to do this?
1: Man, I, I really wish I could tell you. I, w- I would say a lot of it is just talent development. I mean, I when I think back to how I grew as a player, it was largely in part to um not even my high school coaches but the the people outside of of that who I worked with so like developmental coaches and the amount of effort um that I put into my game you know outside of just going to practice every day and, play, and playing in like a game uh or, or two during the week like it was the extra work that I put in and I owe that to the coaches that that trained me and taught me the game and you know, I used to work out with uh Kevin Durant's Godfather and I, I was at I was in the gym every weekend, Friday night, Saturday night. I would give up my time going out or having fun to be in the gym. And it was other kids in there who were trying to work on the game and get better. So I would say that examples that they set, um, you know, and, and just being available um, and having the gym open. I think that's a big thing as well uh, coming from DC where there, there can be a lot of bad influences and there's, there could have been a lot of other things I could have been doing, but, Having access to an open gym, a safe haven to where kids can go and actually do something um, that's going to help them grow as individuals and as athletes, I think that's a valuable piece as well. So um, just the mentors and role models that we have that came from this area who have helped us develop as athletes um, and just taught us the game. I think that's um, a big piece of the puzzle.
0: That's huge, man. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely it's it's always interesting. I mean that for individual athletes, but also just for a community as a whole, you know, as you said, you know, coming from pretty much any city you can point to on planet Earth at this point, there's going to be some bad influences. Um, right. And it sounds like, you know, where you were coming from, obviously, that was that was a possibility. But if you made the conscious decision and mental effort to say, hey, you know, I would ra- I know that there's stuff out there that I could do that's fun, but also might run into some shit that I don't want to get into. I would right. much rather, you know, be better at basketball, hang out with some people playing basketball. And again, goes back to that competition, goes back to that, you know, community based. There's more than just, it wasn't just you in the gym. It sounds like there was a few people there every Friday and Saturday, just working on their game, trying to get better. Um, not was, was Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant at this time, or was his godfather just a really nice guy that everyone kind of likes?
1: He was, he was getting there. He, right. I, I want to say, I, so I worked out with Kevin Durant a couple times when I was in high school. So he must've been maybe in his, First or second year in the league, maybe or okay still All right, all right. He was he was I mean he was, he was still yeah, pretty was young, but he was mm-hmm. he was there. People knew who he was. He yeah. had a national name, but he he, he wasn't the championship yeah, yeah, MVP yeah. Kevin Durant yeah, yet. Yeah, so yeah.
0: that was that's only been recent. More power to him, man. I love that. So so you're in DC, you're working hard, you're doing everything that you need to do. You eventually get the opportunity to play at Niagara University. Um I have to assume it's somewhere by the falls. So we're going from DC to upstate New York somewhere. That Sounds kind of chilly, man. How did you? Uh, how did you deal with? I mean, not that DC is a warm place, but it's it's not Niagara, New York.
1: No, Niagara. It's it's right by the falls, so you're correct there. But it's it's a different type of cold, you know. <laughs> I mean, I remember times when I would come out the dorm rooms, and my face, I'd just be crying. It was oh, so cold. yeah. <laughs> I'm just like this is this is different but man aside from that uh, Niagara was a, a absolutely amazing experience and and I owe that a lot to the teammates that I have had up there um, I w- we went through a lot of ups and downs my three years there um, lost a lot and and had a lot of struggles because we were a very young team I want to say my freshman year we might have been the third youngest team in the country started four freshmen um, including me so it was a lot of bumps and bruises but Um, those three years throughout Niagara taught me so much and i built so many good relationships that I still carry on to this day. A lot of those guys I still talk to. So, uh, overall Niagara came with its, its fair share of obstacles, but you know, I wouldn't trade that experience for the world. man.
0: I love it, man. Plus you got the play, right? That's, that's always the most important part. I'm sure there was other schools you could have went to where you might be on the bench for a year, year and a half, two years, maybe. Um, it might've got, you know, might've been for a more nationally known name, uh, and nationally known school, but heck man's fun to play basketball that's why you did it your whole life not to sit on a bench so I I commend you for that man I think it's great you told me a story I don't know if you want to tell it now or if you want to tell it a little bit later uh you you hey man this is your story not mine but um (laughs) you know you you told me a story about when you were in classes at Niagara Mm -hmm. um and you kind of didn't take advantage of some of the you you made a lot of relationships but you didn't quite take advantage of all the relationships that you had the opportunity do you want to tell that one now or you want to tell that a little bit later
1: yeah, sure. I can tell yeah. it now. So I mean, when you when you're an athlete in college, especially early on, you 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 hang out with other athletes. You stay kind of confined to the people that you're that you know that you're comfortable with, that have similar interests as you. And that was my, the basketball team for me. Um, but we would have to be up there every summer, so it would be other kids, uh, other people taking classes along with us. And a lot of times, these classes were very small. And so my first, this might have been my first summer class um, going into my freshman year at Niagara. And I can't remember what class it was, but it was only four of us in the class. And it was me, another one of my teammates and two other females. And so we all sat pretty close and uh, we didn't really speak too much to the other two females. They were older and, and um, y- you know, we were kind of just freshmen. Yeah, you're 18, like come class. on, yeah, exactly, You know what I'm saying? Man, like, like, we, <laughs> we just would say it was like a high and by type thing. But I later learned that, you know, one of, the, one of the ladies that went, was in class with us, uh, she was a huge Niagara basketball fan. And um, I think it was my coach who told us like at the end of the summer, he was like, hey, I did, I, did you know who that the lady was who was in class, class with you? And we were like, no, nah, we don't know who the two girls were. We didn't talk to them there. And so he, he went on to tell us that actually she was the daughter or granddaughter, I can't remember which one, of the founder of Whiteman's. And kind of the overall point or moral to the story is that you never know who's in the like same vicinity as you that can potentially make an impact in your life or uh, just be somebody of influence or prominence that can help you going forward and, and I share this story with a lot of athletes because um, I think a lot of times you have athletes who are not willing to step outside and talk to people and um, you know really put themselves out there and use that platform as an athlete to build their, their network and it, it can be so detrimental long-term that I'm not doing this because you never know who could be a fan of yours or who wants to talk to you. And I think being in college in that setting is the prime time to do that because it's a community of people who are in love with the football team or in love with the basketball team. So I always tell athletes, like, you never know who's in the same room with you. You never know who you might meet that can change your life. And I looking back, I wish I would have talked to her because I don't, I don't know what would have came out of it. Maybe nothing, but, Having that relationship could have been something. And so it, it always matters to put yourself out there and just talk to people, connect with
0: people. 100%. Yeah. I mean, worst comes to worst, you have the relationship. That's the worst right. thing that could come out of that, right? And, and you know, it's something that I, I really love the story because it's so true, especially when you're on the team. That is when people want to talk to you the most. Like, of course, like, again, being a Duke basketball fan, I'll talk to, you know, a lot of Greg Paulus. You know, give, me, uh, you know, give me Josh Roberts. I'll talk to them because I remember them on the team. But right now, I wouldn't mind talking to Trey Jones a little bit more, you know, right. like they're on the team, they're in it. So it's one of those things where getting that opportunity, those people on the outside are definitely more interested in talking now, they might be interested in talking later, but take advantage of it while you have it. And, and plus, uh, just in case anybody out there doesn't know, I really don't know what Wegmans footprint is. I know they're relatively big up here in the Northeast. Um, but it's a it's like a grocery store, uh, but like a higher end grocery store closer to a Whole Foods, not quite, but close enough i don't need to go too deep into wegmans um but no i just love that story because it is so true especially for yeah. athletes but just for all people in general
1: 100 there's there's one other kind of point i want to make here i you, with you being a duke fan a lot of my uh close friends and former teammates play for duke and i actually won't name any names but i talked to one of them not too long ago. at least ago.
0: off air off air <laughs> you can name names
1: I, I i yeah i'll let you know all, all right. <laughs> Um, But I actually talked to him a couple months ago and he was talking about his time playing at Duke. And, um, you know, with a lot of the work that I'm doing now to help athletes build their personal brands, he was like one thing that he regrets um, was not putting himself out there more when he was at Duke. And he said he saw his other teammates um, or another teammate in particular who I'll I'll tell you off air as well. um, He saw the way he engaged on social media and kind of built his brand and how that's helping him now. And he, he looks back and he actually regrets it. And these are two Duke players. And so he told me told me this, and I was just surprised because I never knew this about him. This is a guy that I've known for years. So um, it doesn't matter what level you play on, where you come from. Like, you don't want to have that regret. You don't want to look back and, and wish you could that more or t- or could have taken, taken advantage of that platform when you had it. So I, I think that's vital, man.
0: It's especially, at, at, you know, I, we'll, we'll keep talking about Duke. It's fine with me. I mean, as of recording, I just <laughs> flipping lost last night in double overtime to wake for us. So that kind of sucked. But um, no, it's, it's, it's really interesting, especially brands like that. You know, that's always, you know, just, it's just an interesting conversation, especially like going around basketball. You know, like Zion wasn't Zion. Then he, he was, but he shows up to Duke and now he takes over the entire world like we all knew he was going to be great and he was going to be good, but he was the number two recruit. He wasn't even number one. Right. So like, it's one of those things where when you get that platform, if you could take advantage of it, it's going to become so much bigger for you. And now Zion literally the, the, the Lakers Pelicans game. I don't know what the ratings were, but that's all the internet talked about while I was sleeping last night. Like it was crazy. Um, And I love it. And you know, we'll, we'll see what happens, you know, shout out to him. But I just think it's so cool. And, and again, just, just, everybody in general can take advantage of this, right? Like just because you're an, yeah, if you're an athlete, run with it, man. Like you have that opportunity, you need to do that. But if you're just a regular person, if you're in a room with somebody, up and talk to them you never right. know who that person is or what they do or or more importantly how you can help them because once you help somebody their law of reciprocity they're eventually want, going to want to get back also karma is a pretty big thing for me and i just want to be a good person because i want to be a good person and um, you just never know that and i just had a gentleman you know reach out to me on the internet the other day just because he's in college he's like what's something i can do more i was like go to as many networking events and make as much content as you can because when you're 500 podcast episodes or videos in that's when someone's gonna say, "Hey, wow! You've you've been doing this. You know, every overnight success takes fifteen years. It's just one of those things 100%. where do all of that stuff now when you can do it um, and take advantage of it because down the road that's when it's really gonna pay off for you. So yeah, really excited to hear those stories though. Um, but I just think it's really really cool. Again, I love the uh, the the you know, the lady from Wegmans, you, n- you never know what could have happened. Um, we'll never know. But it would have been kind of cool. You know, worst comes to worse. Maybe she knows somebody that you know, that doesn't know that, you know, that whole thing, you know, <laughs> start start connecting some dots and uh, crazy things happen there. So you're at Niagara for three years. Th- you played it through for three years. You're there for four and graduated, correct?
1: So I was there for three years, played no? for three years. Okay, okay. Yeah.
0: Oh, oh, okay. So I missed that part. Um, tell me more about that.
1: <laughs> so yeah, a lot of people don't really know how this all went down, but um, my junior year uh, at Niagara, we we made it to the NIT, lost to Maryland, um, and and, and came back home, and it was you know right before I want to say it was right before right after spring break, um, and there was some some whispers, some some speculation that the coaching staff could be moving on but we didn't really kind of pay any attention to it they kind of told us they were here to stay but knowing the nature of college basketball anything can happen so um one night we got we all got called into the locker room it was probably like 10 30 11 it was late um and the coaching staff basically told us they were all leaving to take job moving moving over to Hofstra to fill those positions the whole coaching staff was leaving um, and it was a very emotional experience. Um, you know, they broke down and kind of told us how it all went down. And we were in the locker room for about two hours. Um, and so my whole team walked out that day and really not knowing what to do next. A lot of those guys had came in specifically for that coaching staff. Um, we were a growing program. We were getting a lot better. So it, it was an uncomfortable space, like a gray area for a lot of guys. And so um, ultimately we – Eight players ended up transferring in total, um, including me. And so I personally felt like my time in Niagara kind of came and went and that my heart really wasn't there anymore and that if I wanted to continue pursuing this dream of being a professional athlete, I needed to transfer. So I actually had one of my former teammates from Niagara my sophomore year. He was there for only a year. Ended up going to a school out in California called Cal State San Marcos. Um, And it was a small NAIA school. I didn't know anything about California, but I kind of just um, kept all my options open and the opportunity opened up. And so basically went out there for a visit, fell in love with the, the coaching staff, the campus, San Diego. Um, and I took the leap, man. So I transferred my senior year and, and finished up out in, in California, at Cal State, San Marcos.
0: San Diego, man. From Niagara to San Diego, making big jumps in the world, dude. Good for you. Right. Um, yeah, that that's college sports. It's such a weird uh, paradigm that coaches can just run when they want, um, and athletes. Now I know they're looking at things with the transfer portal now, which is really interesting. And the gentleman that just went from Colorado <coughs> to, I think he uh, just uh, transferred to Michigan State. The head coach uh, had some pretty funny comments. If anyone wants to look those up, we don't need to get too deep into that. But um, what was what was that? as you said emotionally your heart wasn't there anymore i mean what, what did did you feel kind of like a little bit of like a, a like a mercenary did you kind of feel like like all right i get one shot i'm, I'm, I'm parachuting in for one year i'm going to do everything i can to do, you know improve my stock as a as a basketball player and then you know i'm the heck out of here so what did what was that one year or two years like understanding that you're you you really are just here for one shot to do one thing and then just get out
1: yeah. So, so me leaving was a combination of things in actuality. Um, I had went through a lot of injuries my junior year. So I, I, my minutes were up and down. I wasn't playing a lot. I was, I was butting heads with the coaches. I, I really just wasn't happy my junior year and, and I was looking for a rebirth, kind of like a fresh start. Um, and I didn't know what would, what would come out of, of transferring. I, I just knew I wanted to be a pro. And so before I even left Niagara and started to, to look at other schools, I sat down with the coaching staff that was coming in and I just didn't feel like they had my best interest in mind. I thought like, you know, they, they looked at me as like senior who was just going to be there for a year and then be out. They were looking at developing the younger players or the players that they were bringing in. And I was like, if I stay here, I'm either not going to play or just play a little bit, but regardless, I won't have the opportunity to pursue this dream if I don't perform my senior year. And so that's really, really what it was for me. It was like, I have one more shot at, at chasing this dream. And I need to, to put myself in the best position to do so. And so I felt like that was a new start on the other side of the country with a new coaching staff who actually believed in me and uh, was going to, was going to put me in a position to actually achieve that dream. And so, um, I ended up going out to California and actually having the best year I ever I ever had playing basketball. I was all-American um defensive player of the year. You know, we finished 32 and 3. We had a phenomenal year. We almost beat San Diego State. Um you know, we were a small basketball program that had started not too long ago. So it was just it was just, you know, me just stepping out on faith and just putting putting a lot into my work ethic, my plan and, and that dream. And just knowing that this was my only option. I was going to make it work.
0: It's that California sunshine, man. Juices you up. Get you <laughs> ready to go, dude. I know. I love it. That's, that's a really interesting way. Um, you know, I'm obviously very glad it worked out for you, but because you're now able to enjoy yourself a little bit more on a team that you feel wanted and, and help really build the program as well. As you said, the program wasn't very old. So really being sure. able to kind of be a part of it, whether it's, you know, Four or five years old, ten years old, even—it's not a very long program, um, you know. So that's, that's that's a really great opportunity you have, and I'm glad you completely took advantage of it because it did lead to playing professionally. Um, so, quite, you know, af- after after you leave uh, San Marco, was it?
1: Yep, yeah, Cal State San Marcos.
0: Cal State San Marcos. What um, what was that process like? Did you yeah. think that there was any opportunity in the NBA, the G League, the D League at the time, or or did you kind of know? hey, like maybe this, I don't need to focus too much of my time here. Let me already just go over to Europe and get that head start.
1: So um, I just wanted to play pro, to be honest with you. I didn't care where it was, what country, what league, wherever. As long as I was, you know, getting paid to play the game that I love, I was i was okay, but I actually, <laughs> right. So I actually had an opportunity to uh, try out for a couple of G League teams. So I tried out for the Lakers G League team, um, it was a couple of the teams that I wanted to try out for, but uh, didn't have the money to, to to go to the trials, to pay for flights and things of that nature. So the opportunity to play in Japan kind of just came out of nowhere. So, <clears throat> excuse me. And so um, that was kind of like the first thing that was on my plate and, and the thing that was um, a guarantee. And, and so a lot of times in professional basketball, it's so, it's so much volatility and instability. And so, having something that was a uh, definite was, was like, I can't pass this opportunity up. So I I, I took that and and kind of just ran with it and, and didn't really look at other opportunities to, to play in other leagues.
0: That's, that's really interesting. So you did have the opportunity to try out for a couple G league teams. Um, what did you get any feedback from like the Lakers G league team or what? <laughs> like, like, Hey, sorry, you're not gonna, you're not gonna make it. Or were, were you kind of on the fence? Like how, how, what was the, what was the feedback from
1: them? So, uh, back then, I don't know how the G League – it was the D League when I tried. Oh, them. okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, I, I just remember looking at that – they sent over the contract beforehand. So, you sign a contract. And I just remember looking at the money, and I was like, how can I even live, live off of this? It was like next to nothing. And so, um, I, I signed the contract, got it back over to them, and it went to the tryout for the Lakers G League team. And it was – um, maybe about 20 of us. It was, it was, it was not that many players, a little private workout. And so, um, it was, it was highly competitive. I mean, some of the guys who were there had played pro for a couple of years. A couple of them had NBA experience. So I'm coming in as a, as a rookie athlete, professional athlete, not really knowing, um, what the program pro, pro game is like, um, so it was very, very competitive, and it, it lasted about three hours. But ultimately, um, they just they called me back and, and basically just told me that, um, you know, they they had selected somebody else or signed somebody else, and that was that. But that's kind of how the the G League slash D League is. It's very cutthroat, very competitive, and you you I mean you really gotta be you know, one of the the top guys in those workouts to even get an opportunity to go to training camp. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. And that, and that makes sense. I mean, it's, it's the, it's the next 15 guys, right. You know, there's the 15 on the roster and then, then they need another, they need the other 15. And I know now that the G league is definitely starting to, um, become a little bit more substantial. You know, you're starting to see them on TV a little bit more. You're start, they're starting to get some of those endorsement deals. Money usually flows. Once money starts flowing, um, a lot of stuff starts to happen as well, which is always important. And so... How, how did the opportunity in Japan come about? Like, what did some was somebody just scouting you? Was it because you were over in California that you were just a little bit closer? Or, you know, like, I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but I'm just kind of curious. Like, did you reach out? Did you, did you start slinging your tape around to people saying, hey, guys, I can play? Um, or, or are people reaching out to you?
1: So, the thing about Japan, that, that opportunity kind of came from one of the, the coaches that would come see me play when I was in California. Um, his name was Gary Colson and I give him a a, a lot of credit for, um, helping me develop as as a man. I actually, I mean, he kind of came, came into my life during the middle of the season, my senior year. And really just, uh, I guess fell in love with my game, fell in love with me as a person. And he was actually, he got hired to coach a team out in Japan and wanted to take me and two other players with him. So, um, you know, I, I went out there with him. You know, just putting my full trust in him as a coach. Um, he, I mean, he's he's very he's he's a legendary coach out in California. I want to say he coached at Santa Barbara for a number of years, so he's very very well known in the basketball community. Best friends with Jerry West, and you know, this is a guy who I knew was 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 gonna uh, you know help me develop as as a professional athlete. So I went out there with him, but it just it just wasn't the situation that none of us even imagined. Um, You know, within our first couple weeks out there, uh, I remember getting out there and immediately the the general manager of the team got sick and he was in the hospital and he was in charge of everything. So, I mean, we didn't even have beds. We didn't have, uh, you know, there was no air conditioning. Uh, We didn't have a way to practice. It it was rough. And so uh, here I am, uh, a rookie professional athlete. Uh, not really, I'm in a, in a different culture, not really knowing anything. It's my first time being out of the country and having to really survive and not really, you know, it was, there were situ, situations where we didn't get paid and it was just a, a bunch of different obstacles that we had to overcome. Um, and, and so uh, ultimately we ended up all the players that came over there with me, we ended up leaving early uh, and coming back home and, and, and uh, that experience taught me so much, just about how to survive, how to stand on my own too, um, and and really how to roll with the punch, punches and, and face adversity. Um, but to also know that if you really want to achieve something, you have to keep pushing forward, keep progressing, and so that's what I continued to do even after having that experience uh, in Japan, my work year. But it it was pretty bad; it was a bad experience. But it, uh, I learned I learned a ton through it.
0: That is, it's really awesome. And just kind of going back, as I said, I really love connecting those dots. So, you know, your coach leaves Niagara, you had a friend, an old teammate that went out to this small school out in San Diego. You decide to go follow him out there because you're out there. You meet this gentleman, that gentleman then becomes a coach in Japan. So that gives you your first opportunity to become professional. Um, maybe not the the best situation as you've kind of described, uh, with all the crazy stuff going on, but right. Whatever doesn't kill you. What, um, what is it? What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Um, and knowing it, I have to assume it only could get better from there. Right.
1: So the crazy thing, speaking about connecting the dots, Oh, okay, I I was
0: scared (laughs) for a second. Okay. Okay. All right. All right.
1: Um, I'll backtrack, but, but first I actually got my second job, uh, playing that, that following year because of another coach that saw me play in Japan. So it, it is funny how everything kind of connects. Uh, but I actually, I, when I came back home, I didn't have a game plan. I didn't, I didn't even have an agent at this point. And I didn't know anything about how to get a job overseas. So um, I didn't know where to start, man. I I, I started to put together a, a bio, a resume, my highlight tape um, and, 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 by, by, by just luck, I, I happened to come across a site where it had a bunch of agents, um, coaches, uh, managers, trainers um, from different leagues and, and countries all over the world. And I just started email. I just started to send 100 emails a day and I would do that over and over and over while working two jobs and trying to uh, get in the gym just so I'm still in shape to, to play professionally in case opportunity came. And for, I want to say, six months, not heard nothing. Like, I would get a couple emails here and there. Like, we already have our roster. We're not interested. Uh, and just rejection after rejection. But I was so determined to still play professionally that I kept going at it. And eventually, um, I I, uh, uh, I got signed to an agent. I uh, had an agent sign me, and he was looking for opportunities for me. Uh, but nothing came out of that. So I fired my agent, got another agent. And this whole time, I'm I'm just slowly getting more and more discouraged. But something in me kind of wouldn't let that dream die just yet. Um, so I just kept at it, kept sending emails, kept working, kept staying like keeping in the gym and just training and, and trying to work on my game. Um, and that following November, right before Thanksgiving, um, I had one of the coaches that saw me play in Japan uh, reached out to me. Said they had just released their guard. They were looking for another guard. Um, was I interested in opportunity? And right before Christmas, I would say maybe the day before, I flew right back over to Japan and, and and was playing professionally once again.
0: That is awesome, man! And yeah, I mean that like so. What what was that timeline? What was the time from coming back home to you know that Christmas November?
1: So I went over to Japan the first time in August, and I came back maybe October, November. It wasn't a long time at all. Um and so then I worked through you know that that December, January, all the way up until that that following November. So I was just work. I worked two jobs. I was uh were I worked at Apple. Um so I was uh, a sales rep at nope. Apple. And then no, I No, you were a genius,
0: did... man. Don't sales rep, you're a genius. <laughs> no,
1: no way. <laughs> I had no technical knowledge at that point in time. <laughs> But I worked in sales, man, and I was I worked at a I worked at a club too. So I was just working odd jobs, mm-hmm. trying to support myself, trying to do anything I could to to pay for gym memberships, to pay for workouts. Um, and it was probably the hardest thing I ever had to to do in my life, or one of them, because um, I had days where I was working like sixteen hours, man, like back to back jobs. And I would try to get in the gym, um, but it was just a lot trying to send like my highlight tape, my film, like all that stuff was just. Um, it was, it took a lot of hard work and, uh, I was just so ecstatic when that opportunity to go back to Japan and and do something that I love to do when that came, it was just, um, it was, it was an amazing feeling, man. It
0: it would have been really easy to give up too, right? Like working those two jobs, like, well, you know, not making too much money an entire year. You know, I don't know how many people would go an entire year of doing that, um, without at least having the thought cross their mind. I'm sure it may have crossed yours once or twice, but like, okay, maybe maybe it's time for me to get a career. Maybe it's time for me to start my you know post-athletic career um, because still, you know, working at Apple, working at a club, you know, these are temporary. These aren't things you're going to do for the rest of your life. Maybe. Um, right. But once you start, you know, you get into that desk job, you get in that nine to five, you start making some good money. It's very difficult to say, no, thanks. I'm going to go back and play basketball in Japan. So I, I commend you for that, man. I think it's awesome. And, and another thing is, you know, I know a lot of athletes um, that have gone and played professional in certain sports around the around the world for a year um, have had crappy situations and been like, you know what? All right. You know, at least I played professionally. You know, I'm going to say, I'm going out on my terms. What was it that made you so resilient and want to just continue that opportunity and continue the lifestyle, um, knowing what it was, but still saying like, my goal is to play professionally. You did it once. Why, like, what was it that you needed to do it for? However much longer you did it for.
1: I always told myself that I wanted to, uh, at least play a couple of years and I didn't feel fulfilled I didn't feel like I really had accomplished that that goal of mine that first year I didn't feel like it went the way that I imagined I didn't want to go out on that on those terms and so I was like I'm still young I can still play I still have a lot of time to make the money that I wanted to do other things with my life but like I'm going to chase this dream while I still can while I still have the passion for the game I think that that was the biggest thing. I still loved to play basketball, and that was one of what I wanted to do more than anything else at that point in time. So, um, I was going to give it everything I had. If that mean, meant I had to work several jobs to support myself, and you know, whatever it took. And that's the mindset that I took on it. And so, um, it, it paid off in the end. You know, that oppor- whether it came from another agent or who, whoever else, whoever gave me the opportunity, all that hard work work actually paid off in the end with me getting a chance to actually pursue that dream again. So um, it was just my mindset. And I I just didn't want to give up at at that point in my time and point in my life.
0: And how much longer did you play uh, professional basketball for?
1: that that was that was a final year that, that uh, was second year. all right well
0: you played a couple you did what you wanted to do so i i yeah. do like that and i mean it's i still think it's incredible man um you're a professional athlete you know you, you played this game as like a six-year-old and uh, you got to the point where someone was paying you money to do it sounds like the dream to me man
1: yeah no for sure and i, I for me it, it was really about uh you from you got to have a pat like a will to want to to want to work at your craft and when that goes away you're cheating the craft you're cheating the game and once I noticed that that I didn't want to work as hard as, as I had been working to play I didn't want to train as much I, I could take days off and be okay that's when I knew it's like this yeah I need to do something else because it's yep. not I'm not going to put the necessary effort in to be great at this game and I, and I just won't last so as soon as that started to happen for me, I was like, I, I got to put the ball down and figure out what my life is going to look like.
0: Yeah, you can't, you can't, exactly as you said, you're almost disrespecting the game um, if you do that. If you think that you can take days off, if you think you can do things um the game's not going to allow that to happen. And, and you know, it's it's, it's great that you were able to realize that. Um, probably nice to come home a little bit too, so that, that part doesn't, doesn't hurt too much. So you did, you came home. Um, how much longer after you came home did you publish your book?
1: Oh, man, I want to say it was that following year. So I had been writing. Yeah, I had been writing that the whole time I was in Japan uh, because I had the time. I I came at a point where we had a big break in the season. So we weren't, we were just practicing maybe an hour or two out of the day and the rest of the day we had to ourselves. And um, I I just had so much time on my hands and I started to think about what my life would look like if if I took basketball out of the picture. If I left today and could never pick up a basketball again, where would I be? And It wasn't going to be an apple or the club again. So I had to figure out what the hell I was going to do. Um, and that led me to reflecting on my life and my experiences as an athlete and the things that I learned. Um, and, and so long story short, I, I, I wanted, I, I initially didn't want to be an author. That wasn't something that I had planned to do, but I thought about how my story could impact other athletes who might go through the same things that I went through what could I teach them to help them throughout their athletic career, but also throughout life. And so, um, that, that following year I put out my story and it it just basically highlighted those experiences. Some of the, um, some of the things that I went through and then some of the key lessons that I took away from basketball that I I think have helped me immensely. Um, and and it was, it was very hard to be that transparent and that vulnerable, but man I, I the greatest joy from me putting out my story is the the kids that i've impacted and who come up to me and say yo i read your book like i you went through this like i'm going through this now or that i got this from your story like that is the most meaningful aspect and so when i when you turn things around and make it about other people um there, there's no better feeling that admiration and that joy is is it's a beautiful thing man
0: yeah, man, I mean, you're you're helping people that you're never going to meet, right? People that read your book, uh, other parts of the country, other parts of the world, um, very, very little chance that you're going to meet every single person that bought that book and that have, has been touched by it. So I can see that being very, um, very impactful to you and understanding that, you know, you did something that is now allowing other people to do this, but it's also allowing other people to get through the things that you went through. You, you're giving them a little bit of your experience. So that way they don't have to do it all on their own they can at least feel like someone else was there to do it with them so I just think it's awesome and as I said I apologize I didn't get the chance to read it but you know you have another book purchaser right in front of you today Malcolm I promise you that I'll I'll give that (laughs) one a holler um you also were a writer as well I saw you worked for the Huffington Post as well as the Athlete Network um for a couple years each it looked like um how how do you land gigs like that I mean this is like 2016 time frame I think so Huffington Post I think was like on top of the world at that point so what was it like kind of you know, I, like, as you said, you didn't want to be an author. So what made you want to be a writer, I
1: guess? Um, simply for the fact that it was therapeutic and that I was good at it. Um, writing was something that I did my whole life, like not even like subconsciously, like I would write to just express myself and kind of free my thoughts because I've never been one to to speak a lot. So uh, that that's why I started to write. And I, the more I started to see, the things that I put out there and other people, the more I wanted to do it. Um, And so those opportunities actually came The Huffington post was, they gave me my own um, platform and, and I was kind of like a freelance contributor for them. Um, And that, that opportunity came from, from a friend of mine who actually worked for them at the time. Um, And so I would try to just put out content that uh, touched on life after sports that touched on, uh, the lessons that sports can teach us, uh, even just the brand, personal branding piece, which that was when I really started to build my own personal brand outside of being an athlete. And then along the uh, with the Athlete Network opportunity, that came from actually the first business conference that I ever went to. Um, I, I paid for a flight out to Kansas City to go to a speaking conference, um, and I actually met the founder of Athlete Network at that conference. And uh, basically talked to him about my experiences, told him that uh, I, I wanted to contribute and maybe become an influencer for the platform. And so they gave me my own, um, my own platform for that as well. And then, and then uh, you know, I just kept continuously building, building my brand through putting out articles and, and just talking about my experiences. And um, it, it was just great to see how, how those articles and, and those, those blog pieces kind of impact and help other athletes. So Uh, I'm very grateful for those chances, those opportunities.
0: Yeah, of course. I mean, again, like those are, those are some pretty cool opportunities. And I did see a lot of the Huffington Post ones. Um, at least I think the last like eight to 10 articles all had to do with life after sports for athletes or, or personal branding, what to do now, when to do it, how to do it after. Um, so at, I assume, you know, kind of, you know, what, what you're doing at player's point, it was rumbling around at least a little bit in your brain. It's just kind of figuring out, you know, you can put the pen to the paper and write about it. Now, how do you start impacting people? So at what point did you decide, you know what, now I want to, now I want to be the person that actually helps these athletes specifically with all of these, all of these problems.
1: So I would say I've always had entrepreneurial tendencies uh, ever since I was young. I, w- I was the kid at school, who sold candy, who sold water bottle, like whatever I could get my hands on. I sold, uh, you know, T-shirts and, and shoes and flip shoes in high school. So I always had this this these, these aspects and facets of being a business person uh, throughout my life. And so I knew that once I was done playing basketball, I wanted to do something entrepreneurial or where I had the freedom to kind of. Take an idea and build it from the ground up. I just didn't know what that would look like. Um, And so I started to have conversations with former athletes and read articles about how much athletes struggle to transition in life after sports and how so many athletes were going broke in retirement. And I started to think about how can I help these athletes uh, take advantage of their platforms, take advantage and and capitalize on that title, that athlete title, and use that to. you know, make more money to have more opportunities to put themselves in a better position for life after sports. And, you know, I came up with players point, man, I I just, I wanted to give athletes, um, you know, a a service of, of, uh, you know, opportunities to build what they what they wanted to do outside of the game and and really just help them do that. And then the, the business has kind of taken multiple different forms throughout the years. And, uh, really been playing with a lot of different business models. But, uh, at this point in time, we're, we're primarily an e-commerce platform where we help athletes actually de- design their own e-commerce platforms, but also put out educational opportunities, um, and, and digital content that, that's centered around personal branding and helping athletes monetize that. So, um, it, it's been a journey. It, it's, it, it goes back to that patience aspect that we talked about. Um, you know, just really being patient with uh, trying to build something from the ground up and really just figuring out what the best way to do that is.
0: Patience, hard work, teamwork, working with other people, making sure that everyone's on the same page. So, with this e-commerce platform now, what um, what are you doing? Are you are you starting to take advantage of the new NCAA rules potentially, or, or starting to develop those relationships, understanding that some of those guys. That could be huge. Uh, Do you currently try and you know speak with a lot of agents? Do you try and reach out to the athletes directly? Like, what what have you seen? I mean, you're you're willing to work sixteen hours, go to the gym, and send a hundred emails in a day. I can only imagine what you are what you're up to now.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's the whole reason you know the 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 whole way that I've been able to to do you know podcast and have a business and do all these different things and still create content. Uh, It's all goes goes back to the work. So um you know when you're like you said before when you're passionate about something it becomes a lot easier to do and i'm passionate about helping athletes uh during and after their careers and and uh currently what the what the goal is to is to really try to get in where we wherever we can so if that's going directly to athletes and helping helping them build their own platforms um or or talking to agents and being a funnel to athletes that way uh But I want athletes to really see the value and the service that that we're providing and and what can happen when they actively invest in themselves um, and and really capitalize on uh, the the following, the audience that they have now and and, and the opportunities that can present itself. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next several months. Um, But I'm actually uh, speaking about books in the process of, of publishing my second book, which is going to be focused on athlete branding and marketing. Uh, and teaching athletes how to, to build their personal brand. So uh, I think it's an exciting time to be an athlete and there's so much that, that athletes can take advantage of if they, if they go about it the right way. Um, but as far as student athletes, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see what happens, uh, you know, with, with laws being changed. I guess. And, yeah. The
0: uh, laws haven't quite yeah. changed yet. seems like they're coming, but yeah, probably in your best interest to 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 wait until all those documents are signed.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No questions. I mean, uh, there's there's a lot of discussions and right now it's the wild wild west but um, i I am in full support of athletes being able to take advantage of, of their platforms while they' while they're amateurs and and um, the opportunities that could present itself can be really good for student athletes who could do so so and, and with
0: I'm very excited too. I hope I want all the athletes to make as much money as they can because their careers are going to be very short, and it's it's pretty unfortunate, especially with social media now. As we were talking about before, you know those those two Duke players. One of them took advantage of their social media. One did not. You know, I'm sure the one that has more followers and and is engaging more with his audience has the opportunity to sell more um, to that audience because they love them, they trust them, they like them, kind of thing. So with this, so it's an e-commerce platform. Are you? Is it like? Are we selling T-shirts? Like, what exactly is? Uh, what are, what are on those platforms?
1: Yeah. So right now I'm in the process of building out the entire platform. So we're, we're going to be selling merchandise or being in our own e-commerce platform and also have online courses to help athletes, um, which are going to be based off of the book that I'm publishing. But at the same time, we're also going to be providing services where we actually develop e-commerce platforms for the athletes as well. So it's, it's a combination of different, um, services, products that we actually sell uh, to athletes. It's all focused on athletes um, and branding in particular.
0: And, and what led you to this particular, I know you kind of, as you said, you've kind of been rolling with the punches a little bit, figuring out, you know, pivoting, staying patient. What led you to this specific iteration of the business?
1: Honestly, uh, I, I, I began to see how many athletes were uh, creating their own uh, t-shirt lines and selling their own merchandise. I looked at Tom Brady and, and Julian. TB12. Edwards. Yep. Yep. And, uh, and the type of products and just, they were being very creative and innovative. And I even looked when Marshawn Lynch signed, yep. uh, when he came back to the NFL and how his beast mode apparel, how much they grew, like they grew in revenue when he, like the yeah. revenue spiked. Like, that was I can't awesome. Remember it. I mean, yeah. Was I remember incredible. it being like,
0: like half a million or something like in like yeah, it was a incredible. super short period of time.
1: And, and I just started to look at how e-commerce can be such an easy way for athletes to build their personal brands and also monetize them at the same point, you know, at the same time. So that was kind of my thinking process. And, and you know, athletes are passionate about so many other things. And and I wanted to find a way for them to be creative and express themselves through whatever products they want to put out, put out and, and really express those passions. So... Uh, that that was my thinking process and, and what led me to kind of forming and pivoting the company to where it's at now.
0: I love it, man. I think it is. I think it's a really cool idea. Yeah. And and you also have the podcast as well, player points, players point podcast. What a, I know you guys are, if I'm not mistaken, what, what episode are you guys at? I saw you're up there. 80 something. 90.
1: 90. We're going to be at 90. So I've, uh, I think I just released 89 today. Okay. 92, as you know, you record and you got it. That's true. Edit. Yeah, (laughs) and break it down and do all that stuff, and then publish it in a couple weeks. So really at ninety two.
0: So before I thought it was really interesting that you said you really loved writing, but you actually didn't like to speak too much, or you didn't like to talk too much. Um, Now you're a professional speaker. Now you have a podcast. Uh, What what did you do to kind of get yourself there? Understanding that people like to pay attention through different mediums: video, audio, you know, written. Why why and how did you kind of make that that personal pivot in your life?
1: um so so it was was a couple things um I I noticed that it's much easier to spread your message when you can do it through different mediums and so it was like I could either just write and be a writer my whole life or I could get comfortable being uncomfortable and put myself out there even more and do speaking engagements and have a podcast and so um, it was the podcast kind of came as, as a way for me to build more relationships within the sports industry, meet other people, connect with other athletes, but also as a way to kind of hone my voice, hone, uh, you know, my ability to speak better um, and really just practice that craft because it's something I do want to get better at, but it's it's not it's not an innate talent of mine. And so I have to work at it. And as comfortable as it might be to go out and speak to a group of people, I've, I've done it several times and I began to see how I progress with it but it's just something that you got to practice and it's going to be uncomfortable it's going to be hard as hell as it's been for me but you know you start to see the slow progress over time and you start to get more confident so it was just me wanting to spread my message even more and figuring out that um, you know even though this might not be my number one thing or the thing that I'm most comfortable doing I'm still going to do it and push myself and challenge myself to be better
0: I love that, man. And that's the athlete in you, right? That's, that's, you know, that's the basketball player. Hey, you suck with your left hand, man. Now we got to work on it, right? Right. So it's just one of those things where you, you have to understand that, just because you're you're not great at something it might be your, your best offensive weapon one day uh, because I do think getting on stages going on podcasts I think you're doing a great job today man maybe you know I think you're doing it. So you, you, whatever you've been doing I guess 90 something episodes you clearly uh, you're clearly getting a lot better at it depending uh, I have to assume considering where you may have been in those first couple but no man I think it's great I think it's it's really interesting and in, in the way you're going about it I completely agree I am personally I I I'm super comfortable in front of a microphone. I love talking. It's my favorite thing I get to do. I'm a terrible writer. So what am I doing? I'm writing a book. Like that's, I I totally agree. I'm just (laughs) trying to do the same thing. Like I want to spread the message. I want to spread what I'm doing. Um, And uh, it's also kind of cool just to be, you know, an author, published author, Malcolm Lemons, published author, Michael Rezile. Sounds good, right? Hey, the the
1: beauty of the world today is that you can do anything you want to do. There's literally no excuses why you can't. Do anything, and so why not just try it? And if it's not, it's not what you want to do, then 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 you don't have to do it. But exactly, it's just so many, so much opportunity, and so it just it it kills me that I'm not doing everything that I possibly can to to figure out what I what I want to do going forward in life and what I might be passionate about. I I just I I can't sit back and not try, and so that that to me is is just crazy that uh, I can I can actually have my own show my own radio show for yep. free yeah anybody can do that and it, it literally just, it's crazy that, that people just won't even try
0: i talk to a lot of people and they find out i have one of these uh you know podcasts and they're just like wait what i was like yeah it's like super easy it's a blast like I it costs <laughs> me money to do it but the relationships that i make the enjoyment I get out of it. This is my favorite thing, literally my favorite thing I get to do every day. Um, get sure. to talk to people like you about your story, what you've done. I can't wait to get off air so we can talk about the Duke boys some more. But um, no, man, I mean, like, it's so much fun for me and, and I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy it. And I'm happy that you can see that as well. So I don't want to keep you too much longer. The last question I have for you is um, looking at this specific iteration and understanding that it may change in the future and, and you may take advantage of other things. What is your, I guess, like pie in the sky vision for a player's point, and and what are what are you trying to accomplish in helping these athletes along the way?
1: That's that's a great great question. Um, I would say that right now I'm kind of focused on the day in and day out of just building something, as I, as I said before, just from the ground up. So not really getting too caught up on what I want the company to look like in five or ten years. Like, what am I? What can I do now to to move one step closer um, or, or build one step closer to impacting another athlete or making a difference in another athlete's life. And so basically right now, um, I I, I would say that if I had to to pick overall vision for the company, it would just be the go-to resource for any athlete that wants to monetize their brand while they're playing. Um, That's what I look at it as right now. and, And that's what I think we can really help athletes do. Um, you know, so for, for any athlete, whether that's student athlete, when, when, when the laws change or a professional athlete who, um, you know, might be playing overseas, like I once was and, and wants to do other things, wants to have a, a bigger brand and actually make money outside of their careers. We can help athletes do that and we can help them prepare for that next step by doing so. So that's what I look at it as now. And then, like you said, that may change over time, but, um, just focused on making a difference in in, in in the way that I that I best know how.
0: It's an easy why you want to help people. Um, yeah. It's just the it's just the what and the how, man. And it, it sounds like you're well on your way, man. So Malcolm Lemons, founder of Player Point Sports, host of the Players Point Podcast, author of Lessons of the Game. Thank you so much for your time today, man. I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks, Mike, man. This is fun. I appreciate you having me. Keep doing what you're doing.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of For the Love of Sports with Malcolm Lemons. He was absolutely fantastic. I hope you guys really enjoyed the show. He was so much fun to listen to and talk to and get to have a real conversation with around athletes and what they're doing and really get to understand what his story is and how he did it. So please go follow Malcolm. All of that information will be in the show notes, his podcast, all his social medias please check mine out, too. That would be super helpful. And if you could, please give this show a five-star rating. That would be super, super helpful, too. So thank you all so much. I hope you learned something, and I hope you make it a wonderful day.